Colossians 2, 13 through 22, so you can follow along on the screen as I read the passage aloud for us. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. This is God's word. This is St. Augustine's prayer, one of his prayers. Soak my bones in your love and let them say, Lord, who is like you? You have burst my chains and I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you. I will declare how you set me free. When they hear these things, they will all worship and say, Blessed be the Lord in heaven and earth, great and wonderful is his name. Your words were planted permanently inside me. You have surrounded me on every side, and I am now made certain of your eternal life. Where once I only saw reflection in the mirror, now I see you fully. Good morning, church. Uh, it is such a delight to be back. I flew in last, uh, uh, yesterday in the evening, and as I hit the Mission District, I just burst into tears and was like, I feel like I'm at home. <laughs> and um, it was just beautiful to just go through all the memories and nostalgia of the last kind of few years tra traveling with the Reality SF family. So thank you for being that family to me in all sorts of ways. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't really get better than Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is a bit like a diamond. You keep looking and you see another refraction and another quality, and you're just awestruck every moment of your life as you move and circumstances change and your perspective shifts, you see a different glimmer and a different color and you're pierced in a different way. And Jesus, the, the element that I wanna to talk to you or the aspect of his nature I wanna to talk to you about, his identity is the king of angels, the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this passage, we're invited to have a glimpse into the unseen realms. One of the problems in the church that we face today is that we live in a bit of a functional naturalism. Okay, big word, naturalism. What does that mean? It means 
We act as if God isn't really real. He's just a concept, he's just an idea, and we're constantly like deconstructing, reconstructing, finding the right idea. Oh, no, 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 no. This cannot be in the house of the Lord, because God is real. <laughs> Christ came as evidence. Christ came as God made flesh. And in this Colossians passage, it says, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. But church, if we look at this event just as a concept, and we don't have the eyes to see and ears to hear, to see in the unseen realm. We cannot really appreciate the identity of Jesus. We can't actually really know who he is because on the cross, he won an angelic victory. It wasn't just that he lived a perfect life in human flesh, but that unlocked a victory in the spirit realm that totally transformed heaven. It says in Hebrews that he cleansed the heavenly places with his blood. What does that mean? His perfect love fulfilled the law, opened the gates, connected heaven and earth again so there's never a breach. Human sin can never break it again and we can live in eternal victory. Come on. And you know, not many people can claim this. This is a particular grace, so I'm gonna boast in it because it's not about me but it's about the fact that God in my weakness has given me some graces. And one of them is that I have personal contact with N.T. Wright. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I should probably write to him. I was in Germany like, oh, I'll just see if he's free. Like maybe he has just like a minute to just tell me what he thinks about this Colossians passage. And in this passage, what's really fascinating is that we see the link between our forgiveness on the cross, Jesus dying and canceling that debt, canceling that indebtedness we all have because of sin. It was called penal substitutionary atonement. It's a bit fancy. But a lot of people have attacked this idea because it's an abused idea. It's been reduced. We just see the cross as only that. So David, no, we cannot just see that aspect of Jesus' sacrifice for, for us dissected from his victory that I've just talked about, which is called Christus Victor. The two go together. And he said, David, preach it. That's the gospel. It's the victory and it's the forgiveness of sins. And these two things bring heaven and earth together. And Pastor Dave has taught about the Genesis narrative of the three rebellions, the three kinds of fall. Who remembers that sermon? I listened to it in the plane. And I was just so, Dave did such an amazing job. I was like, this is awesome teaching. So what can I offer to that? How can I build upon such a great foundation? And I thought, well, I want to talk about the three realms that correspond to these three kinds of falls. So we have the original angelical fall, so the demons, they're fallen angels, right? We have the human fall into sin, but we also have the human political fall into empire or Babel. And these three come together, and they all correspond to, one, the heavenly dwelling place of God in the angelical fall, and then the angelic and demonic realm which has supervened upon our lives, kind of like Stranger Things, which I'm going to talk about, <laughs> upside down with L, hallelujah. Um, and then the earthly political realm, the social realm, the city, 
uh, that these three all overlap, and they're all interconnected, and in Christ, they're reunified. So I want you to think about that in your own life. Like, when I pray in faith, I'm actually stepping into an alignment of God's heavenly throne, the demonic, angelical fight, and I'm helping the angels win. (laughs) with my faith, which is a gift from God. You can meditate on that all day. It's a mystery. And then I'm also acting in the world. I'm like a political citizen. I'm like, let's get this social gospel going as well. Because I've been forgiven. Hallelujah. There's a victory here. So I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to see change in the world. So we cannot have this functional naturalism. And Charles Taylor, a really great scholar, He talks about the imminent frame that we've inherited after the enlightenment. In other words, everything is just what we see. There's nothing else, the imminent frame. David Hume in in England told that, you know, his his kind of doctrine was that he denies the possibility of laws outside of observed nature. He's shutting our connection to the demonic, angelic, and to God's throne. He's saying the only thing is this earthly, secular realm. And C.S. Lewis talks about the discarded image, the discarded framework that we used to have in the medieval times of these three realms that all came together, and we've lost it after the Enlightenment. But James K.A. Smith, one of my favorite scholars, he's an Augustinian, and we just read Augustine. How good was that? Spicy, spicy man. And you read him, and you're just like, oh, I've got, you know, I want to get up and dance. So the world... (laughs) is denaturalized by sin. And so if we just look at the world through the frame of denaturalization, we don't think there are other realms. We become deadened to the reality of the heavens. That's not good. Because then we can't rule and reign with God. We can't be the children of God. We can't be image bearers. We can't be those who crush scorpions under our feet. We can't be those who go into the poor places and into the darkness and actually bring light. We've lost it. We've lost our real vocation. We have to shed this functional naturalism. And he says we need to re- be renaturalized by heaven coming to earth. So it's not that there's a supernatural, natural divide. No, it's that everything is overlayered upon everything. Everything is interconnected. This beautiful cosmic system of the unseen and seen reality. Just knowing the gift that you exist and the miracle of that. This is the height of these three realms coming together, that God became human, that he so complemented our human nature (laughs) to become human with us and rejoin all the worlds. He became the bridge between two worlds, and he fought evil and he overcame it. And so in Stranger Things, I'm a bit of a Stranger Things fan. Many of you may dislike Stranger Things because, you know, it's a thriller, it borders on horror. I was even fighting, should I use it? And I was like, yeah, come on. (laughs) Netflix is important too. But what I find fascinating about the show is that it grants that there is another world which supervenes upon our own. And Michael Heiser, famed Old Testament scholar, wrote a book, which we're going to put up, about this. Unfortunately, he passed away recently. And in this, we see the character of Elle. Who who knows Elle? She's obviously all your favorite character, right? No? (laughs) 
and she gets a little bit of blood when she like connects the two realms and like changes things. It's a really interesting metaphor. Jesus shed his blood and through that was able to be the perfect mediator between heaven and earth. You're seeing the parallels here maybe. But I love the character of El because she reminds us of the greater victor, which is Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read it out again. Jesus forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Second slide. Jesus literally mocked the demonic, angelical powers which rebelled against God before human beings fell by not just defending them, but lifting human nature to the highest point next to God. We are seated in the heavenly realms in victory, guys. That's our identity. Whoa! No longer are these arrogant powers great, but now they're secondary to our rulership made in the image of God. What a victory for us that Jesus has given us as a gift. And if you're doubting yourself, if you have insecurity, you're stuck in yourself, let it go. Let the victory, let the new identity come in and shake it up in this worship. Shake it up in this service. Let it go. Loose the chains. Let us loose heaven in this place. Let us just step into this fullness because we don't have time to entertain other things, right? Hallelujah. We need to repent from this functioning naturalist world that we've inherited, which has not worked and has brought such pain, such suffering, where we make created things our identities. And yes, there are identities related to created things, but our ultimate identity must be Jesus, must be the victory. And similarly to Elle in Stranger Things, who just looks like an ordinary kid in her town. We all just look like ordinary kids in our towns. But we're not. We're sons and daughters of the heavenly king of angels. Woo! You know what? If we don't have these eyes to see and ears to hear and operate through faith in these other realms, then scripture kind of looks a bit weird. We've got the discernment of spirits. We've got the gifts of wisdom and knowledge. We've got tongues. That's a hard one, but a great one. We've got prophecy. And those spiritual gifts are important graces to help us operate between heaven and earth in the way that Jesus did. Do not despise the spiritual gifts for they are the equipment of God to live in this intersection of realms which Jesus brought in this Colossians passage. We must learn to discern, cast out, bind demons, loose heavenly grace, and help the angels, but ultimately to know that this side of Jesus' person is unintelligible if we don't repent from this functional naturalism. He is the king of angels, the Lord of heaven's armies. I was just in Germany. I preached 19 times in two weeks. And when I flew into Germany, 
I was so full of the power of God, but my body was so exhausted. <laughs> so I was like, not ready for any trials. I was like, God, I'm a little bit on the edge. So I fly into Germany, I meet all my brothers and sisters, glory, and we're fellowshipping again into my bed, I'm exhausted, go to sleep, and of course, in my sleep, what happens? The realms are intersecting. <laughs> and these demons in my sleep start attacking me, and this demon of murder jumps on top of me and tries to strangle me, and I'm like, no! I'm a son of God, I will preach the news of victory, I will not stop. I will preach this word right at the heart of secular Europe, and I will not stop. And I will set my face like flint so that the world, as many people, can know the news of this victory, of this better empire, of this better kingdom coming. And Jesus' first public words in Matthew I repent for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, repent because the realms are aligning and you have an opportunity to be part of this new world. Guys, I want you to fall in love with this news. I want you to leave this place this morning on fire, maybe a little over the top for once. Why not? Let the enthusiasm out. Let your Holy Spirit flag lady out, whatever it looks like. Maybe not. I'm sorry, guys. What have I unleashed? Let's go to Narnia now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's... Oh! <laughs> Who loves Narnia? What happens in this passage is Aslan goes in the midst of the powers and they think they've won. They think they got it over him. And Lucy's like, oh my gosh, Aslan. <laughs> and everyone else is not there, like the disciples. Okay, bye. <laughs> I love you, Lord. Yeah, bye. <laughs> and Lucy thinks, oh, it's over. Death has taken him. But C.S. Lewis talked about the deeper magic. And in this passage in Colossians, we are introduced to the deeper magic. No longer do we have to live under the law of sin and death, but now we can live in the glorious liberty of the Spirit, the law of life, reunited with our purpose in God. We now have authority to loose heaven on earth and to bind the demonic, because Aslan, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, he died on the cross, and he canceled the dead, and he rose from the grave, and he mocked the powers. He made a public spectacle of them. They thought that they'd won, but they didn't. They lost. They were fooled, and the lion and the lamb, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And so I want just to think about going deeper into that revelation I just want to leave you with that gem of thinking, yeah, wow, I want to understand this mystery. I want to understand this threshold moment where Aslan, Jesus, dies on the cross and then rises and mocks and brings a public spectacle to these powers who thought in their demonic wisdom they would really beat God. <laughs> and how ridiculously prideful that was. And how we have been brought into the heavenly wisdom that can see the angelical victory that actually happened on the cross, on that stone table. So Jesus says after he's accomplished this, in Matthew 18, 
18 and Luke 10, 19. The first one, he says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then 10, 19, I, Luke, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. You know what this is saying? Jesus wants us to become mini spectacles that mock these powers. He doesn't just want us to say, out in Jesus' name, bye, huh? Cast you out, bye, huh? So it's scary, <laughs> the darkness. He's like, no, step into the crazy circle of demons and say, I am a son of God in the image of Jesus Christ. And no, you're not winning because I'm trampling you under my feet. Not because I have any merit of my own, not because I'm prideful about myself, but because Jesus has done this and he has given me the free gift of salvation through faith, by grace. But some of us fall back out of that place because the world is like a current against us, pushing back that revelation and saying, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. We get exhausted and so we go, as it says in Colossians, you still belong to the world, you submit to their rules, their rules. you say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You get stuck in a false piety or a kind of worldly piety that doesn't really come from that root of Jesus. And you compromise that full identity that he's given you. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to evaluate your life and how you see your own identity. Do you really believe in this hidden victory of Jesus and your authority in it to make it revealed in the world? Do you make your life about the glorious liberty of living according to grace through faith, or do you fall back into the rules and under the elemental spirits of this world, which draw you away from God and the deposit of this glorious victory over the demonic through the Spirit of God? Do you let this slip away? Church, I want to say don't let it slip away. Live into it. Get courageous. Ask the Spirit to give you faith, to go right into the heart of what Jesus has given us in this victory over the powers. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The task is about trying to think and pray through the missional vocation and kingdom witness of the church in our contested political theaters. The church carries a gospel which is not reducible to this worldly political activism, nor so heavenly minded as to live aloft from the trials and terrors of our time. If the gospel announces that Jesus is king, then we must wrestle with what Jesus' kingship means in Tiananmen Square or the floor of the US Congress, in the lunchroom of Tesco or Walmart, or in the choices we make at the ballot box. All of life is spiritual church. All of life has some connection to the other realms, to God's throne. Every hair on your head matters. Every heartbeat, every breath you breathe is so full of spiritual significance to God. What these three realms lead us to is an actual expression in the world. It's not a private faith masked away for the extra spiritual. It's universal for all people in every job, whatever it looks like. And then there's the social side, Cantonese theologian Kwok Lan. He says, Christianity cannot be understood apart from empire. We cannot understand the Bible without knowing something about the struggles for survival of the Hebrew people under the Babylonian, Assyrian, Persian, Greek, and Roman empires. 
Christianity began in the Roman Empire in which Jesus and the early disciples lived as colonized people. Jesus died on the cross, which was a symbol of state terrorism and a form of torture and punishment for political rebels. Jesus took this reality of the cross, which the powers were trying to use to mock Christians and mock Jews of faith, and he turns it into a public spectacle to say, this empire does not reign. This empire is so above. My kingdom is so above this kingdom. I don't even need to come and fight because I fight in the unseen realm. I'm the king of angels. I am the Lord of heaven's armies and my ways are above your ways. I do not need to result I do not need to create another colonial empire. <laughs> oh, how good is that? When we have seen the absolute degradation and destruction of empire. Who's going to get an amen for that? <laughs> and there's another quote I wanted to share from Will Durant, who says, the story of civilization, in his book, The Story of Civilization, Caesar and Christ, he says, there is no greater drama in human record than the sight of a few Christians, scorned or oppressed by a succession of emperors, bearing all trials with a fierce tenacity, multiplying quietly, building order, a bit like Reality SF, just, you know, bleeding a little bit into the city, just loving all the people, <laughs> multiplying quietly, building order, while their enemies generated chaos, fighting the sword, fighting the sword with the word, sorry, they built this order while their enemies generated chaos, and they fought the sword with the word. I love that. You know, when I was in Germany and I had this demonic visitation, and these like, powers were trying to like, shut me up from sharing my testimony and the gospel in, in Germany, I woke up, and I was so full of fear. Guys, the principalities and powers, they can be scary. In our flesh, like in our weakness, it's okay that we get afraid sometimes, but there's also a source always of eternal joy. There's always a way to break that off. And so I just prayed and I said, Jesus, what is this about? He said, well done, David. This is a sign that you were doing something that is effective. If you've experienced spiritual darkness, you know, it's not always because you're this, you know, someone who sinned or you had some problem with your mother or father. Sometimes it's because you're actually a child of God and you're doing really good things and it's shaking heaven and earth and the enemy is threatened. So don't be afraid, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Have joy when you get attacked by the darkness. Woo! <laughs> and every attack just becomes something that builds your faith. Oh, so good. So we don't need to fight with the sword but with the word. And the Lord said, I have given you a sword, do not be afraid. We don't need to result or use the ways of the world to get victory because we already have victory. Remember, Peter takes that sword and cuts off the ear of the Levite. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. 
In other words, what Peter did is he fell back under those elemental spirits. He fell back under that flesh. He fell back into that old order. And then he tried to fight for the kingdom in that way. And oh, have we not done that in the culture war? Oh, have we not done that in every single place? The church has got it wrong and has used the sword rather than the word. So take your sword, church, which is the word. You don't need a literal sword. And then they fought brutality with hope, and at last defeating the strongest state that history has known. Saint Augustine, who we just read verse, the reason I love him is because he was writing when basically all the pagan Romans were saying Christianity is to blame. They caused the downfall of our glorious empire. Do you ever feel like in America, with all the compromises sometimes of the church, yes, but at the end of the day, the real gospel, this victorious news is not to blame for that idolatry. Whether it's in politics, whether it's in the social realm, whatever, left, right, fighting with the sword. No. They overcame the strongest state that history has known with the unseen weaponry of the kingdom of God which is faith, which is hope, which is love, which is peace, which is righteousness in the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. Repent, church, for the kingdom of God is near. That is what Jesus is saying to you through this passage in Colossians. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for years, or it's actually, I don't know, what is this radical movement David's talking about? Huh, maybe I'd like to join that. You can this morning. It just requires turning to a different direction, turning away from the old order that I've just talked about to the new world that has come in Jesus Christ. And finally it says, Caesar and Christ had met in the arena and Christ had won. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, no, Jesus Christ. You do not get to compromise our theology and you do not get to compromise our holiness as the church. We are under a king that is greater than you and you were only there because he said so and your compromises will not be our compromises as the church for we are a holy church that come from this victorious word that is from another world, from another realm that you can't even understand. So sit down and listen. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. We have to have this knowledge of the unseen realm to resist the political and social compromises of our time and live in the tension of radical inclusion and radical holiness. Church, I am so fired up after Germany. Thank you. <laughs> Woo! We often suppress the knowledge of the other realm or overemphasize it. 
We must remain sober-minded, emphasizing both realities, which are co-connected to this realm, and yet aware and exercising our heavenly authority through faith in Jesus. We must avoid the harsh asceticism of self-righteousness in its progressive and fundamentalist forms, and we must also avoid the libertinism which takes grace as a license to sin. The gospel is the news of great victory of a king who won the ultimate angelical victory which releases us from death and sin forever. Our job in the unseen and seen worlds is to be Jesus's gospel carriers, heralds of this victory, but proclaiming that there's a new Lord, a better president, a greater cosmic head who reigns through the paradoxical weaponry of love, faith, peace, righteousness, and holiness. That's a repetition, but it deserves repeating. And so to conclude, church, if we are to live as disciples of Jesus, we must wake up to the unseen, to the heavenly realms which supervene upon this world and the angelical victory of Jesus over the demonic powers of hell and Hades on the cross, rising from the dead. When we experience clashes with the demonic, our faith is built and fear is overcome, and we come to love Jesus so much more I love this. When we have eyes to see and ears to hear, our love of Jesus burns. It's like a fire in us, the Holy Ghost, and we cannot get enough of who he is, and we're just so lovesick because we've seen the victory, because we can see that he is the king of angels, that he overcame, that he's the victorious savior, savior that penal substitutionary atonement and Christus victor are one, that these things don't need to be dissected, and that he has really made a way for us where it looks like there's no way, where the bad news of the world gets us down. Every day we can tune into the heavenly frequency of good news. And even in the deepest, darkest suffering, this gospel is proved to be true. I have suffered really deeply the last four years. I've seen some of the worst Christian failure you can imagine. And this news of victory in the midst, it overcame in Jesus. It is something you can lean your full weight on this morning. Even if you feel like I'm exhausted, I'm angry with God, I've got so much fear, I've been attacked, I just don't know, I'm just not there right now, David. Thank you for the fervor, but I'm just going to check out. I'm just cruising, cruising through the suburbs with Jesus, half time, listening to rap music and, I don't know, eating sushi all good things. No, it's like we need to be woken up. We need to receive the awakening of the Spirit that makes us lovesick for the King of Angels, for the Lord of Heaven's armies. And if we reject this knowledge of the unseen realm, if we go with David Hume, and we go with the imminent frame, we have a feeble form of religion which denies the gospel's power and we cannot see Jesus' real identity. And we become the hypocrites. We fall under these rules and these laws, and we make the gospel a law again. And as a queer person, as a gay man, who's given my life to Jesus and lives celibately, that comes from this victory. It doesn't come from putting myself back under that law. 
that I don't know what it is for you this morning, church, but there's something that's a cross Jesus wants you to carry, but it's not through the power of the law. It's through the power of the Spirit in grace, through faith. I want you to find that deeper way because it's so good and you will flourish. And so we're gonna close soon. I just wanna share one last story. I was in an ethics class at Oxford with a really posh professor. He's lovely and very well considered. And he highly valued reason as a post-enlightenment way of knowing things of faith, doctrine, and scripture. And so, you know, he was appointed by the queen, yes. And so we're sitting there. And he talks about eudaimonia, which is a very fancy word for human flourishing. And he was saying, yes, well, eudaimonia, it's this, this, and this. It's just, you know, do, kind of do what you like in freedom of the gospel. But there was nothing about the cross. And I put up my hand and I said, excuse me, professor. And this launched my ethical career at Oxford. <laughs> I was like, I can't, excuse me, I cannot agree with you. <laughs> America. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> Maybe the empire sold out a little bit sometimes. Um, it's not rule Britannia, it's rule Jesus. And uh, I said, I can't agree with you because I just, you're, your account of human flourishing doesn't involve the cross. Where is the cross in your view of human flourishing? And our whole culture has lost this. It thinks the way to flourish is just to ascend yourself rather than to receive God's descent in the person of Jesus, broke the powers of evil and sin so we could be free. And then out of that, we carry our cross into that victory and then we truly flourish. And if you want to receive that flourish, that flourishing, that joy, that fervor that I'm talking about in the spirit this morning, we're going to now have a time of response. But as we ponder the real identity of Jesus as the Lord of heaven's armies, the King of angels, I just want us to submit again to the gospel of the good news. I want us to receive that root that makes us fall so in love with Jesus, to see him in his glory in the unseen realms. And I want us to repent from that functional naturalism. Even the pride of a city, sometimes like San Francisco or Oxford or Sydney, the cities I've been in, they can say, we got it, we do it ourselves. I got the money. I've got the fame, I've got the popularity, I've got the power. You know, we're all tempted to think these things could be secure, but none of them are. What would it look like for San Francisco to live in this news of victory? That is your task, church. That's why you're sitting here, is to actually incarnate the victory, to become the victory in flesh like Jesus. The gospel didn't become flesh to become words again idle utterances. No, it's, it, it, it wanted to become incarnate in you. So I want us to now, Dave, if you want to come up, we're just going to pray and have a response time.